All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Oilers Nation Radio, presented by The Nation Network. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Friday. It is Oilers Nation Radio, episode 85. Woo. It is the Liam Reddix episode, or Peter Klima, despite who you are. Uh, Depending who you like better, you know what I mean? I'm saying. As always, I want to thank our friends at Sherwood for the Giant out in Sherwood Park, Alberta, for making all of this possible. If you need any kind of assistance with your vehicle or with financing or service or looking for a new vehicle, our friends at Sherwood Ford are happy to help you. Please go check them out on Twitter at Sherwood Ford, on Instagram at Sherwood Ford underscore the Giants. Gentlemen, another week is in the books. How around the horn, real quick. We have Tyler with us. We've got the Nation Dan. We've got Zach Lang subbing in for Rick. Rick's got some work-related items to do because the pint is getting set to potentially do a reopening here in the next couple of weeks. So we'll see how that goes. How's everybody doing last week? Been a good week, bag milk. How about you? Oh, you know, man, just living my life. Living my life. There's no siding going on today. It's rainy and gloomy. So no hammering, which is nice. Are you guys starting to find that the weeks are going by a little quicker? Or is that just me? Nope, definitely feel that. Yeah, Yeah, I am too. It's like, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Dad. Yeah, no, March was like the slow death crawl Mm -hmm. to the end of the month. And then April just zipped by. Like, I I, I kind of forget that April even happened. Um, And then May is kind of much the same. So, yeah, I think it's kind of rolling along. I was talking to Wanye a little bit a little while ago, and we were talking about this, and it was exactly like Dan said. So the the NHL shut down on March 12th, and then the rest of that month just felt like a slow, agonizing crawl towards April, and then April just kind of flashed by, and then here we are in May. But it was it's it's super weird. Like I was thinking about how we went to Vegas in the end at the end of February, and that feels like a lifetime ago. It does. Yeah, I was I was actually talking to uh, Noreen from uh, from Backside there, who we were going to be going to Calgary with uh, at the end of the season, and just like even thinking about like our our trip to Calgary with all the Finns. Um, yeah, it's just it it feels like a lifetime ago that we were we were normal. Yeah, and who and who knows whatever normal is going to be, you know when we come back from this. Right. And that kind of leads into my first topic that I wanted to get to. Um, Over the past week, the NHL has talked about holding the annual entry draft in the first week of June. Um, But they haven't canceled the season yet. So they want to kind of put the cart before the horse in terms of having the draft 
finishing up later on in the summer. And obviously there's going to be a laundry list of issues with this idea, but I want to go around the horn real quick and just kind of see what you think is going to be the major problem in your mind as it comes to this idea. Tyler, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I, I'm against it just because, uh, I, I think it's a mistake to do it before the season ends. Like one of my favorite parts of the draft is is getting the trades in there, the roster movement, the cap dumps, like all this stuff that goes into it. If you're just holding a draft for the sake of picking prospects, to me, it, it loses some of its magic. It loses some of what makes the NHL draft entertaining. And I, I just, the other thing too is you're going to solidify the draft order before the season's done. I, I think that takes away from it a little as well. Like you could have a team that ends up picking 16th and who goes on to win the Stanley cup. What if the Boston Bruins get eliminated in round one, but they're picking 31st because that's where they were in June. I, to me, it's, it's a little bit unfair and I just, you're going to be doing it online anyways. I know the TV networks are pushing for this thing to get going so they can have live content. I'm a guy who talks on the radio every day for two hours. I would love the content of a June NHL draft, but I just don't see it as realistic and I don't think it makes sense. Dan, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with Tyler. It's, it's, it's super frustrating that everybody's preaching, you know, take our time. Let's figure this out. Let's try and, you know, decipher what, what we need to have in place to have our new normal make sense. But then all of a sudden the NHL is like, yeah, we need to have a draft right now. It's just, it's weird. It's a weird kind of like shift in tone. The, the league is preaching that, you know, we're going to be patient and we're not going to rush anything. And, 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 that, and they're doing it rightfully so. Um, you know, they've got the teams, they've got cities sending in bids now to try and host the games and show that they can do it safely. And then we're just like, but we have to have the draft tomorrow and we have to move it up. We have to move it up from the original draft time as well. Like it's just, it seems like a, it seems like a hurried thing. I don't know what the, I don't know what the NHL's TV deals look like or, or anything like that, where maybe that's where they're getting the pressure is that an ESPN or a, or a, oh, not even on ESPN, but an NBC uh, wants some live content. And so they're, they're trying to kind of force the NHL's hand, but that's the only reason I could see it making sense otherwise, because why would you, why would you rush it ahead of even when you were going to have the draft anyways? It's just, it's just mind boggling when, like Tyler said, you've got the, you don't have a draft order. You don't even have a draft order. And we're talking about, we're talking about having a draft. It's like the team that a team that moves up four spots could have been a could be a playoff team, and then they could go on and win the Stanley Cup, and they moved up in the draft one. Like it's it's a weird it's a weird kind of precedent that they're setting for themselves unnecessarily. They're controlling they control the 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 uh, the situation here, and and they're rushing it. So it, it's just frustrating to watch. Zach, I know you uh, got a couple of teeth pulled over the last week, so you're still feeling sore. But what do you think about this draft situation? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a little bit weird for sure. I definitely agree with Tyler in the sense that I'm not a big fan of it. Um, in the same breath as a as a hockey content creator, uh, having a big news event like that a month from now would be tremendous. And uh, obviously, I'm a big draft guy, but I, I agree in the sense that I think it's going to make it really difficult when we start trying to delve into draft order and we start looking at teams who are looking trying to get out of bad contracts and trading picks and players. You know, there's always so much movement at the draft and, and some pretty big league changing trades have happened at the draft over the last number of years. And, you know, we're not going to be able to see that happen this year at the draft. And so for me, I think that's really disappointing um, that the league is trying to kind of rush this so quickly. And I also, on a team level, feel bad for all of the scouts and all of the people that um, put so much work into this draft. Now, you know, their timelines for everything is getting bumped up by a month and a half. So um, it, it's obviously different. Things are all different right now. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely not a fan of uh, bumping up this draft. The other I thing wish too, I could argue. Sorry, I, ahead, you were talking about you feel bad for a, a bunch of people around the draft getting to know the two guys from the Crusaders who would have gotten a chance and even Jake Neighbors here with the Oil Kings. Man, you feel for those guys too. Like they're losing that moment of a lifetime, no matter when the draft is, but they're losing that moment where they get to sit in the arena, hear their name called, walk up, put on the jersey. I feel for the kids getting drafted this year too. Yeah, I mean... 100%. 100%. I, I, I wish I could argue with you guys just so that we all look like we're, you know, just 
over the pants handying everybody, but like it just doesn't make sense at all to try and put the cart before the horse on this one. Like there's so many different angles here. Tyler covered it. Like the draft has become the time when all these big kind of trades happen, all these big splashes happen. And first of all, one, teams that are going to the postseason, if that even does occur, won't be able to trade players and upgrade unless they're looking at like draft picks or lower level kind of players. Someone like a Jesse Pugliarvi could get moved at the draft because he's still playing in Finland, though it won't help them in their playoff run. It doesn't make any sense. And then there's also things like, the conditional picks that are floating around all over the league right now. The Oilers and Flames have one currently for James Neal and Milan Lucic, that conditional third that uh, Neal had to hit 21 goals. It had to be more than 10 on Lucic, but when the season got shut down, Neal did not have 21 goals. If you prorated over a full season, he would have 22 or 23. Is that fair to the Oilers if they prorate it? It's not. So there are just so many weird kind of problems and scenarios that are going to come up from trying to force this in while also trying to finish the season that I just don't see how it makes any sense. Well, and to your point too, Bag Milk, imagine they prorate the, the, the scoring for James Neal and then they finish the season somehow. Like what, like what are we talking about? It's yeah. such a weird, it's such a weird problem that they're creating for themselves. They've already got enough problems to deal with. We all do. And they're just creating more problems and more situations and more and more confusion for all the teams and all the fans. It's just it's just like the, and the NHL hasn't come out and said anything that describes why they're doing it and why they're trying to force this draft. They're just kind of like operating behind the scenes. We're going to have the draft on June the 5th. You guys all better deal with it. They just got to like I all I can assume, Dan, is that it just it has to be an influx of TV revenue. I mean, they've got to be getting pressure from TV networks to kind of air something. The NFL draft went so well that the NHL probably wants to get some of that cash in and they're trying to force a way in. I don't understand it personally. I think it's dumb. I don't like the idea of holding the draft before the season is over. If you are going to hold it in June, then just then cancel the rest of the season. Yeah. And move and proceed with your off season. This morning, Tyler, you wrote about the uh, when is the off season going to start? That's up at OilersNation.com. Like, mm-hmm. what do you what do you think of that? I it's really hard, and for a team like the Oilers, who this was such a pivotal off season for Ken Holland and the organization. Like, when the off season happens, is going to have such a big effect on a whole bunch of things. It might affect what the salary cap sits at. It might affect when the draft is. What kind of trades can be made at the draft? So. For me, like if if the offseason is squished into one month in October and that's how you need to do free agency and everything, there's some pros from an Oilers perspective. Like I think you might be able to get a guy like Tyler Ennis back here on a dirt cheap deal. Maybe Mike Smith's next contract is even cheaper because teams might just be so rushed and players might just go, you know what? It's almost like a game of musical chairs where they might not want to risk losing their spot in the league for a season because they held out for another 750K or something like that. Um, so it, it creates a bunch of questions. And that's something I'm going to be going through on the site over the next few weeks here. But like when the off season is and when they put the draft, whether at the beginning or at the end, like it, it really changes what the Oilers can do with their limited cap space. All right. So let's assume look like for the purposes of the podcast, let's assume that the NHL is going to hold the draft in early June, like they want to, and they still want to finish the season, mm-hmm. whatever. Okay. Who cares? It's going to be weird. Everything's weird. Let's let's run with this premise. What benefits or like what pros do you see from having the June this, uh, the draft this way? Is there anything you're looking forward to because it'll obviously be broadcast from everybody's homes? Is there anything that you like about the idea? I I'm, I don't know. Like like you said, if the uh, the NFL had some fun with it, I I would like to see the NHL have some fun with it too and give people something to kind of sink their teeth into. It is a two-day event, so they could stretch it out and, and have some fun with it over two days. Um, but it's so hard because these kids are, you know, these kids are like every other kid coming up through the, the system. They're, they're trained to be robotic, and they're trained to not be characters. And so so most of them are just going to have the, yeah, I'm very excited to join the Phoenix Coyotes farm team or whatever, right? Like, it's not, it's not as, it's not as, wild and entertaining as the NFL draft. So 
yeah, I, I, that would be that would be my that would be the one excitement for me is that it is it is just something to look forward to and it's something to write articles about and it's something to to have people sit down and be entertained by. But man, oh man, is it just yeah? Every time you think of a positive, you're like ah, oh, there's like six negatives with that positive. So it's it's uh, I don't know, yeah, that that would be the positive that I would take from it is it's two days of something. I agree with Dan too. It would give us, you know, if we know on, let's say, May 20th that the draft is happening June 5th, well, then for two weeks, it's, you know, talking to draft insiders and reading up on the draft, getting to know some of these prospects a little bit better, and and the hype starts to build. And then for the few days after, even, you're talking about who the Oilers picked, what could be the situation going into next year, all that kind of stuff. But also, like, I. I'm starting to get used to life without the live sports and all that. Like to me, the draft would just be like, all right, let's get it over with. Yeah. Okay. Great. The Oilers picked Seth Jarvis 19th overall clap, write a few articles on him, and let's move on to the next thing. And we don't really know if that next thing's coming. So like, I'm almost the same way with the season beginning too. like, if we have to jump through a bunch of hoops and do all this crazy stuff and take it away from what it normally is, I, I think there just could be a bunch of sort of unintended consequences with it. Zach, do you see any uh, anything that obviously, you know, we work together closely in writing content for all the sites. So from a content perspective, having the draft in June would obviously be a nice little bump in news and actual stuff to write about. Anything else you see as a positive here? No, really. I mean, it's, it's kind of a hard situation, right? I mean, I think, I think you, you said it best when we start looking at TV revenue and the league actually being able to pull in a little bit of money. I mean, I think, you know, the hope is, is that they can do something half as good as the NFL draft because I know there's a lot of people who have said that, you know, that NFL draft was one of the best that they've ever held and one of the most entertaining. It was interesting to kind of get more of a personal look into the, the lives of these NFL players. But, you know, as Dan said, you know, most hockey players are pretty robotic, so... I don't know. It, it it could it could turn out to be a bit of a flop, and I'm I'm a little bit concerned about that. But in terms of positives, I don't really see any positives coming out of this. I mean, maybe from a revenue perspective, but I think that's about it. From a content perspective, as much as we might want the draft now, how sweet if they brought the season back in July and the off season goes from October till November, and then camps open again? How sweet would that month stretch be? Where it's like, bang, this week draft, next week free agency, next week a bunch of trades, and you just get to like roll through the off season super quick. Like that'd be a ton of fun. That would be, and again, that's and that's what I always liked about the draft was that you know you had the draft, and then you know four or five days later you're jumping right into free agency period. So you know there was so much to talk about in such a short time span that you know that's something that I'm definitely going to be missing, and I know there's going to be that feeling of like, okay, well, draft happened, and then now what? Now we're just back to sitting and waiting for the league to maybe start up again. It just uh, it just doesn't quite make sense to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm trying to be positive about it, and if this is actually just going to go forward no matter what happens, then you know what? I hope the NHL comes up with some ideas to bring out some of the personalities of these players. Like, uh, I hope they have guys that are some of the more lively NHLers kind of participating a little bit more than they normally would. Like, I want to know, like, maybe P.K. Subban's doing some stuff because he's always fun. Or maybe Ovechkin's doing some stuff because he's always fun. I, I don't know. I feel like they're going to have to get creative to do something because the NHL draft generally as it is is pretty, pretty starchy. And if you're going to remove all the trades from that, it's it's only going to get compounded. So we're uh, a couple of weeks away. Draft coverage has started at WeathersNation.com. Cam's got the first uh, prospect run-throughs that went up today, and we're going to have everything going up on a daily basis from here until that early draft point in June, provided that is what's going on. So we've got coverage going up. We'll see what happens. Uh, It's going to be different this year than what we've ever done because obviously we don't get the normal – TV coverage of it. We don't get the normal scouting reports and we don't get the normal highlights because none of these kids are playing. So you kind of have to look back at what they've done and uh, we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be weird. But like Dan said earlier, everything's weird. Again, I want to give a head, uh, shout out to our friends at Sherwood for the Giant out in Sherwood Park, Alberta. They make all of this possible. Go ahead and follow them on Twitter at Sherwood Ford and on Instagram at Sherwood Ford underscore the Giant. Sticking with the draft, uh, one final topic I had for you guys. Ken Holden last year stepped up to the podium, called out Philip Broberg at eighth overall. It was kind of a divisive 
pick for the Oilers amongst the fan base. I did a cool interview with Ufe Bowden from Hockey Sverge on OilersNation.com, just kind of checking in on Broberg. This year, the Oilers have five picks, five of their seven picks. Um, and that is, if you include the third, that would have gone to Calgary in the James Neal trade. Assuming that they have those picks, we're just going to say, yes, they do. I was looking it up this week. Ken Holland has a history of actually trading down when he's in the bottom third of the first round to try and get more picks. This draft is supposed to be one of the strongest ones we've had in a little bit. Do you guys like the idea of trading backwards to try and get more bullets? Because they don't have the second this year. That was part of the Athens Few trade. Like, do you like that idea? Maybe Uncle Ken going backwards I, in 2020. I'm personally a, a pretty big fan of it. Like, if there's not, a, let's say you're picking 20th and there's not a guy who you are absolutely sold on and you're sitting there going, you know what? There's kind of four, five, six names that we'd kind of like here. If you can slide from 20th to 26th and end up picking a third rounder up in the process or picking up a prospect while doing it, then I think you do it. And early early in the draft, I think it's or it's certainly riskier because you could end up with situations where, like the Oilers, where you lose out on a guy like Zach Parise or Ryan Getzlav, right? But I think later in the draft, it, it gets smarter as you go on. If you have a th- an early third-round pick, and you can move down 20 slots and then pick up a fifth rounder in the process, I think you do it because let's be honest, after about the second round, a lot of drafting, it's kind of just a crapshoot, right? Like people always bring up the Detroit Red Wings and they're like, oh, they drafted so well. And it's like, well, when you get Henrik Zetterberg in like the eighth round, you don't think you're drafting Henrik Zetterberg. You're just kind of taking a flyer on a guy with skill. So to me... The analogy I'll use is the more darts you have to throw at the dartboard, the better chances are you get a triple 20, right? So if you can load up on a bunch of late-end picks, who cares if you got to slide back 20 slots in the third round? You're picking up some more ammunition for later. So I I like it in the first round. I love it later in the draft. Uh, Looking at his history before we get into the other boys, in 2016, that was the last time he did it. Ken Holland moved to the 16th overall pick along with Pavel Datsyuk's contract to Arizona for 20 and 53. In 2011, he traded the 24th overall pick to Ottawa in exchange for two second rounders. That was 35th and 48th. In 2009, he moved the 29th overall pick to Philly in exchange for 32nd and 75th, so a second and a third. And in 2006, he moved 29th for another pair of seconds. Looking around right now, the Ottawa Senators have four second-round picks. They're obviously rebuilding. They have three first-rounders right now. Maybe they want to get a fourth first-rounder this year. The Montreal Canadiens have three second-rounders. There might be an option for a trade. The National Predators have two in the second and two in the third. They always want to compete. Maybe David Poyle wants to make a deal. Um, Dan, what do you think about trading back to try and get more picks? Well, yeah, I, I think you guys kind of you kind of talked touched on it already with the with Ken Holland's history, right? Everybody points to the Red Wings and say, "Well, that team can go and find guys in the in the later rounds." But when you look back at Holland's history in the last the last uh, ten years, uh, he hasn't really hit on any guy outside of a FNSU in the fourth round, uh, outside of the second round. So he, most of his players, that most of his like really good guys that he's found, the the Dylan Larkins, the the Anthony Mantha's even because Mantha kind of slipped slipped down low in his season. Um, they he's not really finding a lot of j- diamonds in the rough now. Of course, maybe they're still coming up to the system, and I'm sure some Detroit Red Wing fan will be upset with me for this. But I don't know. It's it's I like I like having more bullets in the chamber, but. Uh, but it's it's one of those. Sorry, I just got a call in the middle of the uh, the middle of my sentence there. Um, but uh, it's 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 a it's a crapshoot. It's you know it, any any time you move down in the draft, you're just you're hoping for the best, and 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 you wonder. I like I don't know what uh, I don't really know the makeup of Holland's scout system now uh, as opposed to what we've had in the past uh, and what kind of mix we have in there, but. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not a bad thing to add more bullets to the chamber. It's just you got to hit on them. You know, in 2017, he had had uh, what is it? Looks like eight draft picks, maybe ten, um, and only two of those guys have ever played in the NHL. And it's and so I mean, that's obviously early. That's early days on that draft. But but yeah, you, you uh, it's it's kind of going to be a, a patience move uh, more than a more than an instant uh, instant 
dividend payoff. Zach, Zach, if you're looking at uh, a deep draft, which apparently the 2020 draft is, do you like the idea of Uncle Ken maybe trading back that 20th overall, 19th, wherever it happens to be, moving back a couple spots, maybe picking up an extra pick or two? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interested in it. I mean, I think I think any team goes into the hope of, with the draft, of being able to hit on their late round draft picks. And, you know, I guess the hope that you have is that, um, uh, you know, the Oilers are able to have like a 2015 draft again, where they're able to get Caleb Jones, Ethan Barron, John Marino in the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds. You know, if you can hit and grab one of those guys or somebody like that who takes a couple years to develop uh, and maybe choose a player, I think that's what you're hoping to do. I mean, you know, the overwhelming majority of drafts, you don't see a lot of picks um, from the late, you know, five, six, seven rounds playing any games in the NHL. So I, it's a bit of a crapshoot, but I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a it's a risk I think I'm willing to take, just considering how strong the last few drafts the Edmonton Oilers have had as, a, as an organization. And the thing, too, like we're heading to a point right now for the Oilers where getting these guys who can come up and produce for you, whether it's in the top six, bottom six, wherever, if they can produce on entry-level contracts, it's going to be huge for the Oilers in this next stretch of three, four years when you're trying to keep guys like Ryan Nugent Hopkins signed. You know, there's going to come a point where someone like Oscar Clefbaum needs a new deal. Darnell Nurse will need a new deal. When Caleb Jones needs to get paid. Like, it becomes so much easier to pay these guys if you have a good system of prospects coming up and, you know, your third line and maybe your third pairing can be filled with guys making 900K. Well, and even on that note, too, you got to remember, too, that, you know, it's more about just the Edmonton Oilers in the sense, too, we also have an American Hockey League team that, you know, we have to have players playing there, too, right? So, you know, you look at the fact that guys like Caleb Jones, Ethan Bear, Tyler Benson, Kyler Yamamoto are all graduating up to the NHL. That's a huge chunk of players for the Condors to lose. So, you know, these late-round draft picks are guys that, you know, end up going and playing in the American Hockey League for a few years before they're able to, to potentially make a jump to the NHL. So it could be a good chance to stock the shelves of, of Bakersfield as well. And if this draft class is as deep as it has been described to be, obviously I'm not a scout. I haven't watched any of these kids. I watched Lafreniere at the, you know, at the World Juniors and they're all like, oh shit, he's real good. But like, that's as far as my kind of experience goes. Is there going to be that much of a difference if the Oilers are picking at 20th as opposed to maybe getting two second round picks as an example? Is there that going to be that much of a spread? And I don't necessarily think there will be. So I'd like to see them try and do it. Maybe this is the year that they try. But then again, the Oilers did pick up Kaylor Yamamoto at 22nd. And you're like, oh, that was a pretty good pick of that, as it turns out at that spot so it's going to be interesting to watch we're going to obviously a lot of questions going into the draft as we get closer to it but maybe this is the year actually you know what kind of sticking with potentially getting more picks Tyler you wanted to bring back the armchair GM segment for this week's draft what do you got for us this week yeah so uh, we we did this last weekend kind of or last week kind of accidentally we just started going off on a tangent of what the Oilers should do with some pending free agents we went full on armchair GM mode and I got some I got some people reaching out saying they loved it. They were wondering if we were going to do it every week, and I think we can. So our armchair GM topic this week, and it piggybacks on something Jason Greger wrote, but Yesa Puyayarvi is back in the news. It was his birthday the other day. Do you? It's a two-parter. One, would you be looking to move Puyayarvi at the draft? And two, what's sort of the bare minimum you would take for him if you were dealing him at the draft? Like, do you well, need a warm body, or will you take picks? While everybody's thinking about it for a second, I want to go ahead and give a shout out to our friends at skipthedishes.ca. A lot of us are self-isolating, stuck in our house right now, uh, and Skip the Dishes is doing a great job of feeding everybody. So go ahead, order something, feed yourself, feed the temple. I know my man Zach ordered in some food while we're recording this podcast. He skipped the dishes today. I'm going to do it later. I got a great Fire Zone donair the other day. I was super pumped on it. But as Tyler said a few weeks ago, Remember to tip your drivers. Yes, always. Skipthedishes.ca. They're doing great work. They're keeping us fed. Go support a local business. Now, to the armchair question at hand. Mr. Nation Dan, when it comes to Jesse Pugliarvi, just had his birthday, had a good year in Finland. What say you about moving him? Dan, you're on mute. Dan is on mute. 
well, that would help, eh? Uh, I was just <laughs> pondering over here about my skip the dishes order tonight. Um, but uh, I think my bare minimum would be a guy that can play in your bottom six and is better than what we currently have, which I think is a good bar to have uh, for the for the roster. We need to improve the roster if you're going to move on from Jesse Puyarvi because really there's no cost to him being a being our property until his until his contract runs out and then he just goes and you know yeah you don't get any value for him but also he just you know he doesn't he doesn't get to play you know it's 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 a hard line that you have to draw sometimes with these kids and as much as I like Jesse Puyarvi I would rather get something for him that I think he's worth than to just uh, just to hand him over for nothing and then have him be successful so, so yeah I, I would say like a if I'm looking at a name the guy that immediately comes to mind for me is like a Lawson Krauss from Arizona. He's not he's not amazing, but he's a young he's a young kid that that had 25 points his last two seasons. Uh, that of course, this last season was abbreviated, and I think I think he's a he's a guy that you could be happy with getting uh, for a Jesse Puyarvi. But short of that, I think you're going to want to see a package of picks that that give you more of those bullets in the chamber, gives you a couple second round picks or a second and a third kind of thing. If you're, if you had a preference, uh, which would you lean a roster player type in the bottom six or pick? Definitely a roster player on a, on a value contract. That's the thing you can't take. You can't take back a bloated contract for a, a Jesse Pugliarvi, but if you can get a guy that isn't on his, is on his ELC or, you know, or is, or has a couple more years of RFA left, that would be, that would be my line there. Mr. Yeremchuk. You are the GM of the Edmonton Oilers. You have Jesse Pugliarvi under your control, and you are looking to make a deal. Yeah. The, what the, say you? The warm body argument is interesting for me because it's hard for us to tell just who's available. Like, is Lawson Cross available out in Arizona? Would that be a guy who the Oilers are interested in? He, he had a better year statistically this past season with 25 points in 65 games. You know, you prorate that to a full season. We're getting close to that 40-point range. Um, so something like that would be interesting there's also something to be said, I think, of trying to get some draft picks for him and seeing, you know, you know, bring a prospect into the system that you like, that your scouts like. Um, so if I was shopping him on the draft floor, I think step one would be going to all the teams picking between, you know, sort of 31st and 41st, like in that early second round range, because I don't think you're realistically getting at a first rounder for JP. But I'd go to those teams picking in the early second, a spot where you know you can get a damn good prospect. I'd see who's interested. And then I'd also be trying to get a third rounder in next year's draft. Not even necessarily for a bullet in the chamber, but it's something you could even use at the deadline next year and, and sort of find a way to multiply your assets that way. So my asking price for JP, if it was purely picks, would be a second in this year's draft and a third, maybe I would settle for a fourth if the team, if I think the team has a chance of being in the early fourth round. But I would want one pick this year and one pick in next year's draft as well. So I have some ammo potentially for the trade deadline. If it was a warm body, I would prefer it to be someone who could play center, and I'd prefer it that they're making under $2 million or are still on their RFA controllable deal. Um, so that's kind of my basic criteria for a Puglia-Yarvi trade. Preference, though. If, you, if, you're, if you're talking strictly preference, are you talking about draft picks or a warm body? Um, uh, again, it's hard because you don't know who the warm bodies that are available are or what some teams would value, but let's go... Like, maybe on a team like Minnesota, are they at all interested in trading a guy like Joel Erickson Eck? Because if you can get a warm body like Joel Erickson Eck or a guy who's played in the NHL a little bit and can play center, then I'm all over it. So I think I lean a little bit more to a warm body because they can help this year, but I certainly wouldn't scoff at picks. I know I'm giving you fence-sitting answers, but... Mr. Zachary Lang, yeah, you I'm are so, in uh, control. I'm kind of on the fence about it all, too. I mean... My my preference from day one, which continues to be my preference, is that Jesse Pugliarvi comes to Edmonton and and uh, plays hockey for the Edmonton Oilers because I still think he's a tremendous young player who has a lot of value that he could bring to this club. And I think that um, Ken Holland should try and play hardball with him and his agent and, and try and see what he can make happen. However, if we are talking trades, I think you try and target somebody like Tyler mentioned in a Joel Erickson act who... Um, is a young guy who's maybe not had as much success early on in his NHL career, uh, who could step in and potentially be sort of a reclamation project of sorts 
um, for the Oilers to undertake because I think that Fully RV in the same breath is being looked at um, as sort of a reclamation project around the league. Um, so I, I wonder if you can get in a guy like, I don't know any specifics, but you know maybe just one of those younger guys who still needs to work on his game and, and is somebody that um, you know, Dave Tippett could kind of take under his wing. You know, Tippett's done well with young players in the past, um, so I'd be really encouraged to see what can happen um, in that word or in that sense of the word. For me, if I, if I was in control and I'm Ken Holland, I am also I'm with Zach personally. Where my first number one preference would be Jesse. Let's build a bridge here. Let's get over it. Come back and play in the NHL and let's show people what you can do. If you want to trade, let's work on it together. But you being over in Finland, I don't believe that increases his value. I don't believe that, yes, he had a good year in Finland, but he still wasn't a point per game. And people still don't know what he can do in the NHL. So that would be number one. But if we're talking trades, I I think my preference would be, to be honest, a couple of picks in this year's draft. Maybe it's a second, maybe it's a third, or maybe a second and a third, I should say. I wouldn't be opposed to Tyler's idea of a second this year and a third next year. I'm just looking at some teams like, would um would a Montreal they've got some you know second and third round picks would they be interested in something like that? Looking at a name, Bob Stoffer tweeted out that there's some rumors going around right now about Elias Anderson from New York. Um, apparently his foot speed is problematic. Uh, depends how you feel. I believe if I if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure he's a kid that threw his medal into the stands as he well. Uh, so, you know, maybe that's the kind of player that it has to pick a project for a project. If Lies Anderson's foot speed is a concern, okay, can that be worked on? But I think if this is a deep draft, and that's what they say it is, I think my preference this year would be like, all right, well, if Jesse's not going to come back and play here, though on Larvenin's live feed on Twitch, he did say never say never, which is different from last year saying I'm never going to play for the Oilers again. So who knows? I think maybe picks, though, because you might be able to get a, a player that can help. Because I just don't know, to Dan's point, if you're getting a live body that work, that can play in the bottom six, I just don't know that who you're going to get for Jesse Pugliarvi at this point is any better than what you've already got there. Yeah. Are you, are you going to bump out a guy like, you know, Josh Archibald for whoever you get in this Jesse Pugliarvi trade? Probably not, to be honest. That's kind of why I, I said I'd prefer it to be a center, because... They kind of have that need there. If you can get a third-line center for JP, they probably slide right in, and it probably pushes Shahan down to that four spot where he's a little bit more comfortable. The one team, you touched on them quickly, Bag Milk, but the Ottawa Senators, I, I think that would be a really interesting fit because you know they're starting to pick up some skilled centermen, some good young skilled centermen. Maybe they want a winger to play with them. And on top of having three first-rounders in this year's draft, they have four second-rounders and two third-rounders still own their fourth rounder, and next season yet, they own three second rounders. So if any team is going to be willing to part with a couple second or third round picks, it could be the Senators. I'm also, I've been interested since the deadline in Chris Tierney, who's an RFA, he plays center, he would fit well in that third line role. So I I wouldn't be surprised if the Senators were a little interested. Well, and I also think, to your point, Tyler, if if we're talking about the Senators, Jesse Pugliarvi, regardless of having done little in the NHL at this point is still a name and Ottawa's at a point where they could probably use another quote-unquote name on their roster something that I wonder too is like you know I, I with Ottawa having those three first round picks you know I wonder if they'd be willing to part with that third one the one that they have late and I also wonder if there's maybe some other teams like just looking at the draft order well tentative draft order rather for this year uh, the New York Rangers, the New Jersey Devils, and the Anaheim Ducks all have late-round picks that are probably going to be in that 17 to 31 range. I wonder if they would be willing to kind of take a flyer on Pugliarvi with one of those late first-round picks. Like, I, I just, I still think there's a lot of value there in Pugliarvi, and I really still think that he can come in and be an effective top six scorer in the NHL. So, you know, my biggest fear is that we undersell on Pugliarvi. And, and the assets we get back don't end up being worth anything near what Pooley RV is able to bring value-wise down the road to an NHL club. For for an well, NHL GM, it's a pretty easy move to sell to your higher-ups and to your fan base. Like, if you're Ottawa, they're going to have two picks in the top five. If they were to trade their third one for Pooley RV, they could honestly be going to their fan base and saying, 
we basically picked three top five guys this weekend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's it's easy, right? And and that's something like something like that in Ottawa would sell really well because you know, like you guys mentioned, they are bringing in a, a guy with a big name and he's got some acumen. Like people are going to want to come and see Pouliard play. Like you know, at the end of the day, he's still fourth overall draft pick and and a guy who was highly highly touted in in the NHL entry draft when he was drafted a couple of years ago, right? So. You know, I, I just, I really worry about underselling on Pugliarby through this whole process. And, and I think that's probably been my biggest fear of this entire situation is that, you know, we're going to really, really lose value on a, on a former fourth, fourth overall pick. Well, and another angle too is that because this year's draft is so bizarre and we won't get the normal um, kind of influx of player trades of player for picks or player for player, any of that kind of stuff won't really happen. Maybe that bumps Pugliarvi's value up this year, just because there's not going to be the same depth of potential targets that people can look for. I think that's entirely possible. I I totally agree with that. I mean, I just, I think given the weirdness of everything that's going on, who who the hell knows what's going to happen here? It's, it's, It's a weird time. Super weird time. So obviously, the, if the draft is coming up here in a couple of weeks, maybe, maybe not. Who the hell knows? Well, it's obviously something we're going to be talking about and looking at as we get closer. And hopefully, this is going to bring maybe and selfishly because I, you know, we write in the content. Hopefully, this is going to bring some rumors around, man. I love a good rumor, and maybe that as we get closer to this weird draft and people are trying to upgrade their squads despite not necessarily having normal circumstances that maybe maybe we get something interesting i don't know uh changing gears entirely uh i gotta go to a dark point in edmonton oilers history zach wrote about it this past week was the third anniversary of ryan kessler holding cam talbot's pat in the second round of the playoffs Obviously, that was one of the most heartbreaking collapses that I've watched in quite some time. The Oilers were up by three goals with a handful of minutes left, ended up losing in double overtime. Um, we all know how annoying it was. They they stole one from us. I just kind of want to touch in with everybody. Where were you when it happened? What do you, do you remember what you were thinking? Do you remember the rage? And with the benefit of three years of hindsight, what do you think about it? since Tyler I'm going to start with you where were you and what do you think about it since oh man I I still the comeback portion of that feels like an absolute blur and the overtimes feel like an eternity when I like think about it I remember sitting there for the OTs kind of similar to how Zach is sitting right now I had my hands on my head and I just stared at the screen the whole time like I don't even think I blinked and when it comes to the when, when there was the comeback where they scored all those goals late I just remember sitting there being like, hey, you just need to survive like 45 seconds without giving up a goal, then you're fine. And then the Ducks would score that big, hey, if you just make it to like this point in the period, you're fine. You can just ice the puck a few times, you're good. And then the Ducks score again. And, you know, you're irate at that non-call that was video reviewed. And you're you're almost just so angry that whole time that it flies by because you don't understand how it's all happening. Um, Without a doubt, that's the most crushing loss I've ever witnessed the Oilers have. Um, keep in mind that in that in 06, I was still pretty young. And this 2017 one is like so fresh in my mind. Um, but yeah, that one, like how else do you really say it? it? It stung. Zach, where were you? What do you think now? I mean, you just wrote about it. Where were you? And what do you think with three years of hindsight? I actually don't remember where I was. I think I actually might've been on the highway driving back from Canmore visiting my partner. So I think I might've been listening to that game on the radio, but I, I just remember that feeling too of like, you know, it was such a long game going into double overtime. You know, it was just under four hours long. It's just such a crushing time. And I think what was so disappointing is the fact that we had that strong three-goal lead and we let it all slip away in a matter of, what, four minutes in the game? And it was just so disappointing to kind of see happen and see unfold. And I think even more so than that, too, was the fact that, you know, we came back in game six and, and – blew Anaheim socks off 7-1 and, and I'm so encouraged by seeing that response from the team you know after such a devastating loss I thought it was really important for them to be able to come back and, and get that win in, in game six and, and to let it all slip away in game seven was almost that exact same feeling that we had in game five of like we were so close to clinching this we were so close to securing that bag and we just let it all slip away Dan where were you 
What do you think? Three years of reflection. I was I was having a good day until this topic came up. Uh, no, it's well, you're uh, welcome. Yes, well, you know, it's, we have to talk about it. And Tyler reminded me that our 2006 anniversary is also coming up. Um, it's the, the same thing. Like if you if you remember the 2006 finals, we went out and we blew blew Carolina out of the water in Game Six in a must win. Um, and then and then Game Seven allegedly happened. I don't remember. But uh, yeah, same kind of idea as I said. Like it was, I I remember, I don't remember everything about the game. I was with some family. That was like one of the few games that I watched with family and not with the nation uh, at the pint. But um, I just remember when they when the Ducks came back to tie the game after that bull hooey uh, non call. I didn't sit down for the rest of the game. I stood up and I was standing, leaning on the back of my chair same kind of idea hands on the top of the head kind of you know just like just resigned to the fact that this is going to be a nightmare and sure enough they scored in double overtime um and yeah it, it just it i don't know it's it's fascinating to watch another fan base uh in the ducks who haven't had a lot to cheer about after that they went on to the next round and lost to the predators in six maybe seven games um and they just, they really hold on to this comeback that they had. Oh, man, and Oilers fans would too. If the Oilers had that sweet of a cut, three goals late in a playoff game like that, Oilers fans would be celebrating the anniversary of it, wouldn't they? Yeah, but, but it's, the, it's, the, it's the, the fact that they're celebrating the non-call, right? It's like, it's like Shark fans super stoked about the fact that they got a five-minute power play for what was essentially an accidental fall um, that, Man, that I would be though. Them. I would be. I'd well, be yeah. healthy. Me too. Yeah. Well, but but that's the, but that's the you know. I, I mean, whatever. It is what it is. But uh, but it is just fascinating to see now because because they don't have a lot to look forward to. That this is uh, that this is the thing that they hold on to all the time. For me, I was at the pint. We were doing our playoff parties. Uh, I'll never forget the room because if you came to any of our playoff parties at the pint in 2017 you know how packed it was and that's especially weird to think about now here in 2020 because you couldn't have an opportunity to be you know shoulder to shoulder to shoulder with just countless people in a room all watching the game together i remember the excitement of being up three nothing and then i remember ah three one who cared three two oh shit and then that's when things really kind of fell apart. And then the most surreal moment for me was when the Oilers lost in double overtime, the place was silent, dead silent. And then the DJ at the pint kicks off the music to try and get some kind of atmosphere going in there again. And Mark Fain, who was on the black aces at the time hits the D floor and starts cutting a rug because he wasn't playing at the time. And I was just like, this is some of the most surreal shit I've ever seen in my life. First of all, I am devastated by this loss. I didn't like I still couldn't wrap my mind around what happened or how that call didn't get overturned, the goal call that is. And then to see a guy who was on the blue line just not long before, uh, I mean in the years before as a, you know, a course he loved Mark Fain hitting the dance floor. It was just super weird, man. 3 years later, I'm still angry about it. 3 years later, I'm still annoyed. I still hate the Ducks. I still hate Ryan Kessler. I'm glad he doesn't play anymore. And I'm also not upset that the Ducks suck anymore. So my schadenfreude is sky high. But to Tyler's point, if this was in reverse and the Oilers made that comeback, I would be rubbing it in every single day of my life. I would be tweeting pictures at Ducks fans just because it's fun. And it would be my throwback Thursday for the end of time. So I get it from both perspectives. Still heartbreaking. And it's just a real bummer that we couldn't, we got robbed of those moments this year because of what's going on in the world right now. You know what I mean? Like we were planning playoff parties. Dan, we had, Dan, Zach, we had so many meetings where we were just talking about what we're going to do. We're going to talk about mission 2020 and how that's going to be our playoff motto again. And we're looking forward to it. And it's just everything about it is a bummer. Everything. We have had car flags. Days. We have hundreds of car flags that say mission 2020 on them just sitting in a basement, sadly, waiting. It is a yeah. sad way. Although uh, I do know friends of the nation, Alan Kramer, uh, I was talking to Jay this morning. Alan Kramer picked up, I think it was five or six flat, the nation beer, and also picked up a flag for each of those. So 
there's still there's still some of them going out there still loving all these people that are picking up nation beer and they are just beautiful human beings uh dan you mentioned it quickly the 2006 anniversary or whatever you want to call it is coming up just this past week rollison stole amaro did a conference call uh zoom call and talked a little bit about it i don't know if any of you guys had a chance to watch it but Man, it was just kind of fun to hear those three guys talk about what it was like in the city and how I completely forgot that we ran out of beer at times and they had to ship beer up from Calgary for the 2006 run. Like, Just so many moments from that year were great. And to hear those three guys talk about it, there's something about three dudes like that that all experience something and telling the story that just, it fascinates me. I forget who I heard say this, but... uh it was a former NHL who won a Stanley Cup, and he said something like, the best part about winning the Stanley Cup has nothing to do with the moment you win it. It's being able to, like, sit and look back on the run and, like, on everything you went through to get there and, like, sit down with the guys and be like, oh, remember that second-round series in this city when we won that double overtime game? So it was kind of cool to see those guys come back and just reminisce and see, even though they didn't win, it's how much that all meant to them and how much the city being hyped up meant to them. And it it was also some interesting moments too, that just things that I didn't know. I didn't know after the Oilers closed out every round that they were hitting the town and going to bars with fans. I had no idea that was happening because obviously 2006 was pre Twitter. That couldn't happen now. Do you know what I mean? That must've been a very surreal moment to be hanging out wherever they ended up and just being like, Oh shit, that's Dwayne Rollison. And then just partying with the Oilers after they just won a series. Like, bananas. Well, those three guys were all such key parts of that club, too. Like, Rollison, we wouldn't have gone as far as we did if we didn't have Rollison. And Morrow and Stoll were such important key role players in that bottom six group for the Oilers. Like, I just think it's so cool to kind of see these guys you know, still holding such fond memories of Edmonton and, and what was um, such an incredible moment in the franchise's history. You know, given given the fact that, you know, it had been so long without a, uh, a trip to the finals, it was just, it's so cool to see these guys reminiscing over these awesome times. Another thing that kind of like, Jared Stoll was talking about it because he obviously went on, he won a couple of cups in LA afterward, but he was talking about how it still bothers him to have lost in game seven because he knew how much winning a Stanley cup would mean to this city, not only just for the fans, but for the players as well. If you win a Stanley cup in Edmonton, you'll be a God forever. And they were so, so close. And it was just, it was, to be honest, it was, it was a bummer. It it brought back all kinds of old feelings about watching that loss again, but it also made me just kind of be like, man, when this happens, and I'm going to say when. When a Stanley Cup comes back here, that team, whichever team closes it out, those guys are going to be heroes forever. Well, and I would say too, like to that point, you're you're absolutely right that those guys, those guys, if they had if they had put pulled that off and came back and won it in Game Seven, especially after losing Rollison, um, yeah. It, but even even so, this city this city kind of has those guys up on a pedestal. If you were on the 2006 team, there's kind of this like this respect level that you just, you have that, that other, that other guys coming in, they still have to earn, you know, the, the, the moments in that playoff run, like, like uh, Tyler had mentioned, I think it was Tyler or Zach about the, the moments that you, you experience yeah. and you relive, relive the, the moment it, the, the Ryan Smith getting hit in the mouth with a Chris Pronger shot and getting the teeth stitched in and all that stuff. Like, it's just, it's all just etched in your mind. And that's, to me, that's like, when I think of Ryan Smith, when I think of Chris Pronger as a player, when I think of Dwayne Rollison, I think of Fernando Pisani, it's all back to that 2006 Stanley Cup run where, or playoff run where, uh, yeah, it didn't end the way we wanted it to. And, and that still hurts to this day, but it, it was, it was something special that we will hold on to until like bag milk said, we win our, our next cup. Well, to your point, Dan, like, I mean, if you, if you say Fernando Pisani game winner OT, every single Oilers fan knows exactly what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. And, and Dwayne Rollison, you know, like that guy, that guy willed this team to where they were in the playoffs and then their heart and their grit just tried to get them that extra little bit and it just didn't happen. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, 
you know, and, and, and for a guy like Chris Pronger, like there's, there's that element of like, there's that hatred, right. That, that he, he did us wrong that off season. But I think now you've kind of seen the turn, even for a guy like that, where people do remember that he is, he was a huge part of that team. He was a reason that we were in the playoffs and he was a reason that we made it as far as we did. And you, you can't hate him for that. I actually, Listen, I was he, just about to say that, like, it almost feels like we were debating the Oilers all-time team. We got, I saw a bunch of people being like, why isn't Pronger on the team? And it feels like now the wound is almost healed. And when people think about Chris Pronger as an Oiler, I know there still is the hate from him leaving, but a big part of it, I think now is like, you know what? He was a big part of 06. And I think he almost is remembered, not completely fondly, but much more fondly than he was 10, 15 years ago. I'll tell you, like Chris Pronger, if, if, for people that were maybe too young to have watched him in 2006, he was a vacuum out there. He basically had his giant wingspan waving sticks around and covering three quarters of the ice. Like he just, nobody got by him. He scored big goals at big times. He got big points. He controlled the play. He slowed things down. Chris Pronger is arguably one of the best defensemen the Oilers have ever had. And yeah, the hatred comes that he is that good. And he left us after only a year. But I think you're right. I think people are starting to get over it a little bit. Um, well, and, and sorry, beg no, too, just to, just to kind of exclamate that point. The Oilers, up until that point, that the day that they traded for Chris Pronger, they were just a fringe team. We were we were just a team that was, you know, the the '90s Oilers, the gritty, you know, heart filled Oilers that you love to you love to love, and and they finish as an eight seed, and yeah, maybe they win a couple games in the playoffs, and you cheer them on, rah rah rah, and then they move on from it. All of a sudden, they get Chris Pronger, and it's like, holy shit, they're a, they're a legitimate contender. And then they get Mike Pekka, and they add in those pieces. But but none of those stuff, none of that stuff comes around. The Dwayne Rollison doesn't come around. Sergey Samsonov, all those guys don't come into the team unless you have a Chris Pronger that kind of anchored a team that was that was without a, a number one defenseman forever, right? Like it, it had been since the '80s since we'd had a or since a, to be honest, or even since. Yeah, you're right. So it's just it. You, you kind of, like you said, it, the, the history is kind of, has kind of uh, glossed over a little bit of the, the pain that we had um, from what he did to us the, a year later or months later. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's truly is just, he, he was just an amazing guy to have on your team for one year. To be honest, I, one thing that still bothers me to this day about the 2006 playoff run is that Mike Pekka did not grow a playoff beard. He would have looked like a wild man by the time the Stanley Cup Finals rolled around, and it still annoys me that he didn't do it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's fair. I remember uh, clean-shaven Smitty or clean-shaven uh, Pekka. I don't know if was there anybody else on that team that I guess Hemsky couldn't remember. really grow. Hemsky no, couldn't really he was grow a, facial he, hair. He was a young man at that time. Yeah, he was still a, still a kid, and then uh, like Winchester was smooth-faced too. We've only got a couple minutes left in this week's podcast, so that's going to bring us to our Oodle Noodle Hot and Cold Performers of the Week. Tyler, please get your buttons ready. But before we get to that, I just want to go ahead and give a quick plug for Nation Happy Hour, which is happening every Wednesday and Friday. So tonight I'm going to be doing that at 5.30 p.m. Mountain. I do it every Wednesday and Friday at the same time. We're going to be going through the Edmonton Donaire Championship brackets today. Jay's going to explain the voting. We're going to encourage people to submit their votes, be it uh, email them to me. You can DM me. You can jump on the stream and do a pitch for your shop. And we're going to be buying dinner for two for some of the entrants of their favorite shops. So we're going to work with the local donor shops as well to kind of um, get more people going in there and supporting the local economy as well. So that is going to be a lot of fun. Every Wednesday, Friday, Nation, double underscore ON on Instagram in the live feed. But before we close this out, we've got the Oodle Noodle Hot and Cold Performers of the Week. Gentlemen, start your thinking. Obviously, there's not a lot going on, so we can go personal, we can go pro, we can go sports, we can do whatever you want. Oodle Noodle, all 13 locations are donating 10% of takeout orders to local charities and initiatives in Edmonton. Every week, they're doing a donation, and every week, they're moving around to a different charity or local initiative. So congrats to everybody at Oodle Noodle, and thank you to everyone that's going in for takeout over orders and helping support this initiative. Tyler, I'm going to start with you. As always, we're going to start with the veggies. Your Oodle Noodle Cold Performer of the Week. I had a couple I was mulling over here, um, but I'm going to keep it uh, pretty simple. We talked about it already. The idea of a June draft is my cold performer. It doesn't make sense. 
I really don't see very many positives to it other than the fact it would, you know, please the TV partners for the NHL and Sportsnet and NBC. So a June draft is my cold performer. Mr. Nation, Dan. Over the last my cold days. performer of the week is uh, a man who hit the news cycle yesterday and hit the waiver wire today. You you probably have already, if you're listening to us, you probably already know what I'm talking about, but it's Brendan Leipzig and his group chat that just absolutely blew up and it was some of the worst and just nonsensical comments we've ever seen. And uh, I'm glad that uh, he's getting his due and his just desserts today. So Brendan Leipzig, my cold performer of the week. They are just Enjoy fucking the- ass right now. Enjoy the KHL, bro. Uh, Mr. Zachary Lang, your Oodle Noodle cold performer of the week. My cold performer of the week is my mouth because I had to have two teeth pulled and that really sucked. Burr. And it was frozen. Literally, it was quite cold. Uh, my Oodle Noodle cold performer of the week is going to go to me. I made a nice little pasta sauce the other day. Felt really proud about myself. And as I was pouring, I was uh, putting away the leftovers. I just kind of dropped it everywhere. If you could picture the chili gif, or gif, huh. depending on how you pronounce it, from, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. That was me in my kitchen, and I was just so mad. So, oodle noodle, cold performer goes to me. That's what happens when I try to cook. Only bad things. On the opposite side of the ledger, we are going to go to the good news. So I'm going to start with the frozen mouth man himself, Mr. Zachary Lang, your Oodle Noodle Hot Performer of the Week. My Hot Performer of the Week is Nation Beer. It's been back on sale and I got two flats coming to my house that I'll be able to drink as much as I can whenever I'm off these antibiotics. I also drink a beer at Roger's Place and I get crazy. Mm-hmm. We always find That's a true. way to tie that one in somehow. <laughs> yeah, that one's good. Uh, Mr. Nation Dan, your Oodle Noodle Hot Performer of the Week. Well, this one goes out to a former guest of the, of the uh, ON Radio podcast, and I think a fan favorite of all other fans. It's uh, George Rock for beating the shit out of COVID-19, even with asthma. George Rock, my Hot Performer of the Week. Put some respect on my name. Shout out to Big George. He was uh, very kind to us with his time, and I'm very happy to see that he got uh, that he's back on the mend. Mr. Uremchuk, I'm going to give it to you guys because you know what? We don't have a lot of Oilers content to talk about, but every week we do this podcast, and an hour of my day absolutely flies by. It never feels like we're thin for content. We always have a good time. We always find some sort of Oilers topic to, to sink our teeth into, and... Uh, it's always a blast. So uh, you guys are my hot performers for showing up every week, and getting pucks deep, and putting in a good effort. Cash money. Uh, finally, my little noodle hot performer of the week is going out to the citizens of the nation that are so passionately participating in this donair bracket we've got going on. If you've ever thought that people have a local shop that they're just super into, this donair bracket is hilarious. People have been yelling at us about who's been left off. People have been yelling at us about who's been made it into certain categories. It's my favorite thing that we're doing. Obviously, there's no sports to talk about, so we're trying to make some fun out of nothing. And this donair bracket has just been so much fun so far. We're going to be starting the voting next week on these brackets. We're going to move through these, and we are going to crown a champion. So my Oodle Noodle Hot Performer of the Week is every single one of you that is helping us make this happen. Go out hooking. And if you need a little extra cash, go out hooking. Um, From all of us here at Oilers Nation Radio, this is episode 85 in the books, and I want to go ahead and thank Sherwood Ford the Giant. I want to thank SkipTheDishes.ca, and I want to thank our friends at Oodle Noodle for making all of this possible. Sorry, Bank Milk. I just wanted to say one little quick shout-out to a former podcaster of ours, at Coom, whose birthday is coming up here next yes. week. Yes, yes. Happy Coombs. birthday, at Coom. If you there do want is. to send uh, Cameron Lewis tasteful nudes on his birthday, feel free to DM him. He would appreciate it. Or... You can email him to him at Cameron at OilersNation.com. Tasteful nudes only, please. Uh, he would love those for his 39th birthday. Uh, from all of us, again, OilersNation.com, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate, tell a friend, all of that. Download this wherever you get your podcast from. From all of us, have a great weekend, everybody. Shout out, Damien. Best wishes. 
Thanks for listening to Oilers Nation Radio, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media to stay up to date and never miss a podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.